we're continuing in the story of Abraham, um, taking the next step. Uh, this morning is close to 60 verses. It's uh, a chapter and a half. It's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, so it all kind of has to come together. That's why it's such a big chunk of scripture. I usually pride myself on ending at 11.15, and I hope that happens this morning, but it's a really big passage, and uh, so I'll try to get through it. Uh, if, if I'm going too long, just like turn around and start looking at the wall, and I'll, you know, that'll be my, my sign, just stop. But I really want to, tra- it all comes together um, and kind of getting through the entire passage is important. So that is my hope this morning. I'm going to take more of um, an expository standpoint uh, rather than reading through the entire passage and then teaching. Um, we're just going to walk through it, and uh, I'm just going to try to pull out things from, from each section uh, leading up to the end. So we're not going to read it in one chunk. We're just going to try to work through it together. Uh, if you're familiar with Calvary Chapel, it's one of my favorite ways of of learning is through expository teaching of let's just go through the passage verse by verse. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, Genesis chapter 18 verse 16 is where we're going to start. And you don't need to stand, sit, stand, sit. We'll, We'll just stay seated as we read. Unless you want to, you can. All right, so Genesis chapter 18, it's going to be on the screen uh, as well as we work, as we work through it. Then the men set out from there, and they looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice." so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So we have Sodom here, and the Lord is saying that the sin is very grave in Sodom. And um, typically, what, what is Sodom known for? What's their, what's their big, like, flagrant sin? Sodomy. So sexual sin, that's where we get sodomy from. And so when we think about Sodom, um, that typically is what comes to mind first. But if you dig through scripture, you find Sodom mentioned in other areas, and you see that it's more than just that. Um, the sin that was grave is more than just sodomy. Ezekiel 16 says this, so it gives a little insight into other things that were going on in Sodom. So Ezekiel 16 says, See here, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had majesty, abundance, abundance of food, and enjoyed carefree ease. Hmm, Sounds a little like uh, our country at times. They had majesty, abundance of food, and enjoyed carefree ease, but they did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and practiced abominable deeds before me. So we see a few passages ago, about a month ago I preached um, on, I believe I preached, I don't remember, maybe you do, on where Abram and Lot parted ways and Lot chose Sodom. Um, It's funny, I... I oftentimes forget what I taught about, but I think that's what I taught about a month ago. You can confirm that. Uh, And Lot chose Sodom because it was abundant. It had plenty. So, and that's what we see here. It had abundance of food, majesty, and in their wealth, their great sin was they were given so much yet didn't care for those in need. And before God, that, that was a grave sin. And in Jeremiah 23, it says, But I see the prophets of Jerusalem doing something just as shocking. They are unfaithful to me and continually prophesy lies. So they give encouragement to people who are doing evil, with the result that they do not stop their evil doing. I consider all of them as bad as the people of Sodom, and the citizens of Jerusalem as bad as the people of Gomorrah. 
So here the Lord is comparing uh, the prophets um, to Sodom, saying they're prophesying lies and they're encouraging evil. So in Sodom, sin had become something that was encouraged. Their moral compass was seared, if they had a moral compass to begin with. They thought that what they were doing was right. And that typically is how societies go, right? Little by little, they're chipped away. And something that may have been considered abominable or terrible or sinful years ago, today is like, ah, it's not that bad. And then it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. Um, With this, I'm reminded of my uh, time in the Dominican Republic. There was a woman down there. She was a missionary from Germany. So she was helping in the preschool. I actually had all of my meals, and I I probably have told you this before, but I stayed stayed with somebody, but I had all my meals and and my life uh, in this convent with missionary nuns. Um, Kind of a fun experience. So these missionary nuns had someone come over from Germany. Her name was Susani, and she stayed there for six months teaching in the preschool. And Susani and I became friends, and we would talk about life in the United States, life in the Dominican Republic, life in Germany. And in Germany, uh, prostitution is legal. And so, I I mean, I looked at her, and I'm like, you know, how, how can this be legal? How is this okay? And here she considered herself... Um, And she was, she was a believer in God and a follower after God. And she believed in Jesus Christ. Yet because of the culture that she lived in, she thought this was okay. And her response to me was, well, you know, there's a lot of lonely guys that just can't find a woman, so why not pay for one? And she said it to me as if it was just matter of of fact. And I'm thinking to myself, that's just crazy. But when you're surrounded by that and that's the culture, you start to think, oh, that's not that bad. And we might be able to look at Germany or other countries and and see what's going on in different countries and say, how could it be? But we're looking from this perspective. How many here have gone overseas on mission trips? A handful. So I've been to a number of countries. I've been to Senegal, Honduras, Panama, Mexico, Uh, Dominican Republic. I I spent some time um, on reservations out in Montana. And almost every single time when I come back, especially my time in Dominican Republic, which was about 10 months, um, I have to have re-entry. Because you know, you go over there for a week, two weeks, maybe a couple months, years, like the college family, and when you come back, the culture here is the same, but your perspective on it is different. Because you see things um, that are of God over in other countries, and then you come here, and your eyes are just wide open to our own iniquity within this country. And two things that come to mind, anytime I go on a mission trip and I come back, um, two things that come to mind that I just see so clearly, but then I become desensitized to after a while. Number one is the lack of community that we have in this country. We're just so individualized. We have our homes, we have our lives, we have our schedule. You want to hang out with me? Let me put you on my calendar. You want to come over? You better call first. If not, at least knock. You know, um, I've started to get used, I've started to get used to uh, people popping in uh, once in a while, but it's still, you know, this, this is my life. And I kind of organize it and protect it and I guide it. And oftentimes there's not a lot of room for community and fellowship and relationship where, as in some of these other countries, like, that's all it is. Some of them don't even have doors. You know, or they have these, you know, in Dominican Republic, they have these tiny little homes and everybody sleeps. Like a family of five, six, seven people are all sleeping in the same room. But the joy that they have because of the community they have is beautiful. And then the other is um, just waste. It's so hard. And and there's a bunch of other things, but it's so hard for me when I come back from another country that is struggling with malnutrition and starvation and poverty to then, you know, 
see how many trash cans we fill up every week and to walk through the grocery stores. Um, you know, the grocery, they have, in the Dominican Republic, they have these little colmados. They're tiny little grocery stores, probably the size of that room over there. And they just go every day and get their little bit of food that they need for that day. And yet we walk into, you know, Giant or Redner's or Wegman's and just the abundance that we have. So it says here that Sodom, not only was it sexual sin, but they had majesty, abundance of food, and enjoyed carefree ease. And they encouraged people that were doing evil saying, no, 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 your lifestyle is okay. Continue in it. So continuing on, verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. He is bold. Speaking to God, far be it from you, Lord, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? (laughs) He really, I mean, you think about like some of the mistakes he made prior to this passage and he's like here like, Come on, God, like, you're better than that. God's probably like, Abraham, um, Ishmael, you remember that? Like, if I were Abraham, I'd just be like, Lord, whatever. Um, I forget where I was. If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to you, Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. So he, he knows his place. Suppose... Five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, it's like your your kids. (laughs) Like, please, 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 please. So he keeps asking and asking. Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then, so God doesn't even let him like finish his sentence. It's like, suppose 40, yeah, okay, 40, yes, 40. Just, just go away. Come on, Abraham. For the sake of 40, uh, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30. Do I hear 20? Do I hear 10? He said, 10. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. When he finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So this little section here starts with Abraham drew near to God. Just this intimacy that he had with God. Hebrews 10 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Right away I get the picture of children just wrapped up in the arms of their parents usually wrapped up in the arms of Carrie because right now the kids don't want to snuggle with me as much. Mom's just much cooler and more comforting. But that's the picture that I get. Just like climbing up and snuggling in God's lap. There's safety. There's comfort. There's assurance. And then what we find here is that God seemingly changes his mind. Like he has a plan, yet Abraham changes God's plan. Or, well, technically he didn't because 10 weren't found. But we find in Exodus 23, 14, this verse that is just, I don't don't get it. It's It's one of those confusing parts of the Bible that seems to be a contradiction. But Exodus 32 says, so the Lord changed his mind 
about the harm which he said he would do to his people. That's one of those ones where you're just like, God, can you just like take that out of scripture? It would make things, you know how some of those verses where you're like, can you just take that story out? It would make, it'd make things much easier if that confusing part of the Bible wasn't there. Because we have Exodus, and then in 1 Samuel, so the same Bible says this, also the glory of Israel, God, will not lie or change his mind. For he is not a man that he should change his mind. So like, what is it? Exodus, God changes mind. Samuel, God doesn't change his mind. It's a contradiction. Now we know that God does not change. Yet there's this mystery called prayer. Where we can fellowship and we can commune with the almighty God and stuff happens. And then if we don't, things don't happen. You know, we get this, or at least me sometimes, it's like you hear the word fate. Ah, It's just fate. It's just the way it's meant to be. Yet we see in the Bible that people come before God, pleading before God, and stuff happens. Within this congregation, we come before God and we see him work. We partner with God and things change. As if, which is true, we can have impact on the world around us, the people around us, ourselves. It's this amazing mystery. So God does not change, yet we know that he primarily is a loving and relational God that wants to be with his children. And when we draw near to him, we see the impact. So we're going to jump into chapter 19. And uh, this is, so we have Abraham, and now we're going to see something that seems completely different, which is Lot. You know, we have this contrast here, Abraham and Lot. But prior to reading about the life of Lot and looking at him like, dude, Lot, you're crazy. You're sinful. You're so far from God. Before passing judgment on Lot, which is so easy to do when you read scripture, oh, I I never would be like David and um, commit adultery, or I would never be like Paul and, you know, do the things he did prior to he was a Christian, or I would never do, and we look at these stories and just say, maybe some of you do, but I never, I never, I never. But what I want us to do is try to put ourselves in Lot's shoes. So 2 Peter says this, prior to talking about Lot, 2 Peter says this about Lot. And it's, it's really good that this is in Scripture because if all we had was Genesis 19, we would probably put him in the same category as like Judas or just some sinful, wayward person that was not even close to God whatsoever. But 2 Peter gives us a little insight where it says, he rescued righteous Lot. It's a little confusing. You guys know Genesis 19, right? If you don't, we're going to read it right now. But Peter calls Lot righteous. This guy's about to offer his daughters to a mob that want to rape. Like, he's like, here, just take, take my daughters, rape them instead of these men in my head. We're going to read that. And Peter says, he rescued righteous Lot. Greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Lot, according to Peter, was righteous, yet he was deeply impacted by his reason-based decision of this looks good, I'm going to go there. Yet still within his soul, he was a follower after God. And it also makes me wonder, like, If you go back in the beginning that we just read, there was an outcry to the Lord about Sodom. And so I read that, I'm like, well, who's who's doing the outcry? And I I wonder, was it Lot? Was Lot praying for Sodom as he lived in Sodom? Because something came before the ears of the Lord. Was it Lot? Was he crying out for these people? So Genesis 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. 
When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So a month back, I I compared the story of Lot with Psalm 1, where Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And that's the progression we see with Lot. Initially, he lived outside of Sodom. And then he's found in Sodom. And now he's found sitting at the gates of Sodom. A slow decline, like we see in Psalm 1. Now, sitting in the gates, that's where all of the governmental decisions were made. So Lot had got himself so entrenched in Sodom that he gained a place of authority. He wasn't just living there. He had influence. And then this is also, it's just kind of like an interesting little fact. This is the first time um, we see the word house in the Bible. So you have Abraham, who is a nomad, And we have Lot, who has settled down. He has a house. He had reached all of his political and material goals in life. He had influence, and he had comfort, and he had ease. And it's it's interesting as well that he's sitting in the gates of Sodom, yet he tells them, like, he sees them coming, and quickly like, no, 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 he's trying to like rush them away knowing that being out in the streets, it's going to be dangerous. And we'll, we'll see coming up that Sodom was not a good place to be. Verse 4, But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. They believe Moses wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy, and he made sure to say, every man in Sodom. He says it a couple times. The men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man. To basically say this whole community from young to old was corrupted by sin. It was being passed down from generation to generation. So Lot went out to the men, verse 6 in chapter 19. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers. Other translations use brethren. I beg you, brethren, do not act so wickedly. He called them brothers. Second Corinthians says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? As we all know, we're called to live in this world. But we're not called to deep fellowship with the world. If I need to make really important life decisions or moral decisions or marriage decisions, I'm going to come to the church. When we're deeply entrenched like Lot was in Sodom, in the world— and that's our influence, we know the Bible says that that's going to rub off, on, rub off on us. So in verse 7 it says, and we'll see how much it rubbed off, because this is the decision that he makes. He has these men in his house, and rather than them doing anything to those men, he says this, which blows my mind. It says, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and you do to them as you please. Come, rape my daughters. So I said that really loud, and I probably shouldn't have. But it's just crazy. But at the same time, like, we can't look at Lot and say, how could he? Because we're no different without the grace of God. We're no different without the church community. Again, and I just keep bringing up this example, when I was in the Dominican Republic, I was pretty much all alone. 
And when I came back home and I got back plugged in at my church, it was like just fresh flowing water compared to the desert that I was living in. I had a really, really difficult time down there detached from the church community. And when we do that, it impacts us. We're no different from Lot. Stand back. So he, he offers his daughters to be raped. I know that seems unfathomable, but um, without the grace of God, we're, we're all a mess. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn. So here, these are his brothers. And they're saying to him now, this man came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse, worse with you than with them. When you're in deep fellowship with darkness, then if you try to stand up for truth, watch out. Because people will turn against you really quickly. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot. So this is the men inside. Reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. So he offers his daughters to this mob. Why? It's because sin makes insanity seem rational. Fellowship with darkness slowly chipped away at Lot. It's a slow process. That walking, standing, sitting. James talks about this process as well in James 1 where he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's in full growth, gives birth to death. It's a process. And none of us are immune to it. Matthew 5 says this, You have heard that it is said to those of old, You shall not murder. I'm hoping none of us in this room have ever done that. Okay, no murderers, good. You have heard that that was said. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Murder isn't the start. Anger is. It's the root. And, of course, we would say never, ever, ever would I do that. But if you give yourself over fully to sin, it, it can have you and, and anything can happen. I have friends that, um, lots of friends from high school. Um, I was, uh, I had addiction starting in eighth grade and going through till I was a sophomore in college when the Lord saved me. And he saved me out of darkness. And I saw a lot of my friends just go down that deep, dark path. One friend's in jail for 20 to 40 years. Um, Multiple friends have passed away from drug overdoses. Two of my friends, I was a wrestler in high school, and my one buddy, he was my my wrestling partner. We were the same weight class. Really good, kind guy. Um, Got deeply involved in drug addiction and robbed a pharmacy with his brother in Downingtown with sawed-off shotguns. Like, I look at him and I say, how could he have ever done that? But that's what sin does. It slowly destroys us. Then Matthew 5 again says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery isn't the start. Lust is. So basically what Jesus is saying is, don't even let a little foothold get in your life. Because before you know it, if you keep letting it in, you'll get down here and say, how did I get there? How did I let this happen? So sin slowly chipped away at Lot that he thought this was an okay and justifiable decision. And then also it's the herd or mob mentality. I mean, it's, there's been studies 
that show that people isolated or among other good people um, wouldn't do certain actions. But then if you put them in this mob, all of a sudden there's, there's riots and there's chaos and, they, and they're doing things that they never would have done alone. So think about, you know, the Eagles are playing the Giants today. I'll probably be watching it by myself in front of my TV and I'll, they'll get a touchdown and I'll be like, yay. Like that. I might even not say anything. But if I was down at the stadium, oh, I might be like ripping off my shirt. I, who knows? <laughs> High-fiving people. But by myself, I'm just like, oh, good. That's nice. Makes me happy. But down there, I might be painted green. Who knows? I found uh, in Philly, but more often in New York City, when I'm in New York City, I just become like, for the most part, and I'm working on it, but whenever I go there, like, I'm cold, standoffish, and rude. Like, I'll cut in front of somebody. Like, I'll button line. I'll be, like, mean to somebody. Just because that's just no way, what New Yorkers do. I don't even know if that's a New York accent or not. <laughs> but when you're, when you're around the culture, you're just like, ah, this is okay. You know, this, is what, this is what people do. But if I was here at church, I'm trying to get you all to like me. In New York, I don't care. You know? That's why people at Times Square, that's why you got a guy in his tidy whiteies playing the guitar with a cowboy, whoever that guy is. Like, he would never do that, just like out in the suburbs. But it's New York City. It's okay. He's just crazy. Whatever. That's why riots and protests happen. That's why something as horrific as the Holocaust can happen, or ISIS. Almost always, when I read scripture, when Tim gave me this passage, and this is just because Tim is more righteous than I am, he, he looked at it like he, gives, he usually gives the passage, and then he'll give like, oh, this is where I think it's going. Well, his whole thing was a- Abraham and his prayer and, and stepping in the gap and all this sort of stuff, where I'm like, no, nah, I, I can't really relate with Abraham. I'm, I'm more on like Lot's side here. I almost always, when I'm teaching a passage, I, I take the side of the guy that's just messed up. Because that's, that I just know. I know myself. And I know that I'm not far from any of those decisions. So Lot offers his daughters, thinking this is okay. Verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, so this is the angels again, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we were about to destroy this place because the outcry against the people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his son-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. Destroy the city. But, now this is interesting. So Lot, frantic, Get up. The Lord's going to destroy this city. He's like freaking out. And then this is how they respond. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. They're like, what are you talking about? Come, We know you, the Lord. You've never talked about the Lord. Who's this Lord that you talk about? You heard from angels? Like God's going to do something? I mean, you look at this and you realize Lot had zero influence on his family. Zero. His testimony was shattered. And, and I guess that he just never shared his faith. He never talked about God. He never um, put his faith or trust in God. And so when he comes to the people around him, the people that are closest to him, they think he's joking, that he's crazy. I would hope if I came to Carrie and said, God's about to like rain down fire on our house. We better get out. She might think I'm crazy, but you would potentially, would you be like, I trust him, let's go, right? That would, be, that would be my hope. And that's why somebody, you know, some of the prayer warriors and the people of faith within this community, when they speak to me, I listen. And I have to discern, but I listen because I see their lies and I know they're people of faith and I know they commune with God. 
So I want to hear what they have to say. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up. Now here's the, the opposite. So Lot's saying up, and now the angels are saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. I'll probably take this water bottle and I might need some tissues. And they're like, dude, come on. Like, fire is going to rain down. Like, let's get out of here. On Friday, we watched for the first time with our kids The Wizard of Oz. Like, when that tornado came, were they just like, oh, that's so pretty. Look at the shape. That's, no, they're freaking out. They're trying to, like, Dorothy, she's scrambling. Like, destruction is coming. And they knew it. Yet, Lot lingered. Any of you that are involved in sports, like track, you know, the gun goes off, so I'm going to probably split my pants. Maybe I shouldn't do this. <laughs> but, like, you're, like, ready to go. And the gun goes off, and you're like, oh, I forgot to stretch. Hold on. Oh, oh I lost. Like, no, you're ready. You're ready to go. Dutch Blitz, you guys ever played Dutch Blitz? When it's time to go, it's time to go. Like, if I want to win, I can't be lollygagging with Dutch Blitz. Like, and this is the case. Like, come on, Lot, we have to go. Yet he lingered. This was his home, and he didn't want to leave. And his mind was clouded. He, he didn't see the truth or the danger in the situation. When sin has chipped away at us, and it just becomes a normal part of our lives, or our thinking, or our culture, we don't see the dangers of it. We don't see the danger of those little decisions that lead to a path of destruction. But when we're following after God, when we're communing with him, when we're drawing near to him, like Abraham, we see the danger. We can see it coming. And that's why sometimes when, when you're walking with the Lord, you can see so clearly how the decisions that other people are making are impacting their lives in such a negative way, but they can't see it. Lot, I don't think he saw the danger. I don't think he believed the truth. So they had to force him. So the men seized him, verse 16, and his wife, 11, 15, you're all still looking at me. Okay. We're getting, we're getting close. I got like 25 more pages. Okay. So the, men's, the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said, such a contrast to Abraham. So Lot's speaking, and he says, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. Yeah, you think so, Lot? Like they just saved your life. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills. He still doesn't trust. Lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. It's just a little city. Just, just let me go there. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? <laughs> and my wife will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also. It just blows my mind how patient and like compassionate. Like, the Bible does say that God sometimes gives us over to our sin. Like, just, he's patient with us. Okay, you want, you want to try that for a little bit? Try it and, and, see, and see. I'm just going to, I'll be over here. You go. You want to try that? Go try it. I'll be here waiting, and I'll be here, here ready to welcome you back in. Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of that city was called Zoar. So God had so much compassion on Lot. And as he's lingering, they just grab him, and they're like, okay, if, if you're not coming, I'm going to gra grab you. you can, all of you with kids, you know. I got here at 10.03, and I was preaching, and Nancy at the door goes, 
oh, fancy the preacher showed up this morning. <laughs> it's not me, Nancy. It's my kids. Like, we were leaving at 940. We, we were getting ready to go in. And then Ivy's like, I want to buckle myself. Or, you know, kids are like, I want to tie my own shoes. Well, it takes you like five minutes to tie your own shoes. We got to go. It's kind of like that. Just pulled them in. Put them in the car. Let's go a lot. Genesis 19.23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities. And what grew on the ground, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. This phrase here, looked back, was an intense gaze like a longing. I don't blame her. I blame Lot. This is what he did to his family. This was her home. This is where her heart was. This is, this is where she had built her life. And Jesus commands us to remember Lot's wife in Luke 17. I won't read the whole verse, but at the end of it, he talks about don't, when you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. If you had a past, don't look back. Or maybe you grew up in the church and, and you don't have this past to look back to, but maybe you look at what others have with this longing gaze of, oh, I wish I had that too. Jesus says, no, just, just look at me. And then the culmination of the story It just doesn't get any better. Verse 27. And Abraham went out early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So that it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out out of the mist, out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. Once he saw the fire raining down, he was like, that was, he's like, all right, I I think I get it now. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. He goes from a house in comfort and ease and abundance to a cave. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after this manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that he may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she rose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, that you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. They're they're justifying it. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she rose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son, and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Messed up. I hope that never happens in my family. But what can I take from it? The, the truth that we... We leave a legacy. Um, what's that legacy going to look like? I see our kids mimicking our, our mannerisms, or they'll say something, and we'll be like, where did, we, where did they learn that? And then like five minutes later, we say it, and we're like, oh, they learned it from us. Their play, our kids, their play reflects what we do. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you may have seen their workout video. Um, Abby and Oliver and Ivy. If you're not friends with me on Facebook, you should 
become friends with me because it's a really funny video. But we've been trying to, you know, get in shape, so we're going to the Y. Um, uh, our daughter is obsessed with being an entrepreneur because her daddy is one. Um, you know, they're, they're learning through observation. We talk to them in a certain way, they talk to each other in a certain way. And usually the, the negative way that we talk to them. When I yell at them to not yell, which makes absolutely no sense. What legacy am I passing on to my children? And I hope by God's grace that he just erases all the bad and just remembers, they just remember the good. The life of Lot shows us, well, prior to that, this, the sad thing about Lot is um, this is the end of his story. Like he's talked about again in the Bible, but this is the end of his story. His wife turned into a pillar of salt and his daughters got impregnated by him. Exit lot, stage left, stage right. That's the end of his story. Yet Peter calls him righteous. 1 Corinthians, and uh, we're going to wrap it up here, but 1 Corinthians says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through a fire. That's the life of Lot. He just slipped slightly by, but was really singed in the process. So where do we stand? With Abraham? Or where do we want to stand? Abraham was a nomad, but Lot had a home. We all have homes, most of us. But is this earth our home? It's not. Yeah. I honestly, like I love, I love my family. I love my kids. I love my life, but I cannot wait for heaven. And that's a good place to be. No matter how much you have in this world, just do a heart check and say, would I rather be here one more day or be with Christ? Are we like Abraham drawing near unto God? Are we like Abraham praying for those wandering and lost? Are we like Abraham, imperfect, he calls himself dust and ashes, but not letting us not letting that stop us from following God. With Lot, are we with him? Are we focused on this material world? Are we lacking a testimony among our family and friends? Like people at work, do they, do they know that you have faith in God? I don't shoot weddings, weddings on Sundays. And sometimes I don't tell people why. And last night it came up and, you know, it's an opportunity. Oh, you don't shoot weddings on Sundays? But that's your job. And a lot of people get married on Sundays and say, well, I want to make it to church. I want to be with my family. Like, and I can segue in. Prior to being a wedding photographer, I was a youth pastor. And oftentimes I'll say to people, my previous job because I, I don't, sometimes I'm just afraid. Like, what are they going to think? What are they going to say if I tell them I was a youth pastor? Are we like Lot, making irrational decisions because of the influence of sin? Are we like Lot, fellowshipping with darkness? Are we with Lot, you know, passing a legacy of sin on to our children? Are we with Lot, saved? but as one passing through the flames. Second Chronicles, and then we'll just go into prayer, and I think, do we have a song? Or did I totally just kill the time? What's that? We have a song? Okay. Second Chronicles 7.14, and let's just uh, bow our heads. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, 
and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Lord, we see Abraham and we see Lot. And in both lives, we see men that were considered righteous. And then also in both lives, I mean, especially with the life of Lot, we just see your grace and your patience over and over and over again with this man's life. Lord, we are never too far from the grips of your grace. Lord, whatever we are coming in with this morning, Lord, we we lay it before your cross. Lord, we know that the path that Abraham took was one of life. And we, as a church, are reaping the benefits of his decisions in positive and negative ways. Um, Lord, but I just, I do, I pray this morning. Like Jesus said, remember Lot's life, or remember Lot's wife. Lord, let, let us look at these stories uh, with humility and with the knowledge that we're not far off from the decisions that he made if we let sin creep into our lives. Lord, we ask um, for your forgiveness in areas where we've messed up this week, we've messed up this morning. Areas where we're focused on the material um, and the physical rather than the spiritual. Lord, making our home on this earth when our home is in heaven. Lord, building on a foundation that's sand rather than a foundation that's rock. Lord, not drawing near to you and seeking your face because we don't believe that prayer works. Lord, let us see, show us, even through our simple childlike prayers, Lord, that you listen to us and our prayers to you influence the world around us. Lord, we are just passing through on this journey to heaven. Let us keep our eyes gazed on you and not look back and not look to the left and not look to the right. Lord, only to you. You've given us the Bible as an example Lord, and we thank you so much. As hard as these stories, stories are to read, Lord, they are a warning to us. Lord, let us take these things into our hearts, into our minds, and help it to give us the strength to follow after you, to seek you, to turn to you. Goodness and love follows us all the days of our lives. We just need to turn around sometimes to see it. Lord, so I I thank you um, for this day where we can come together, Lord, and I pray um, that whatever came from this passage, Lord, will not just be a fleeting thought, Lord, but will be um, something that will turn us back towards you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.